Welcome to the OA Serenity Sunday Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Serenity Sunday Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now our speaker. Good morning. My name is Carol. I'm a compulsive over and under eater. And um, I want to thank Josh in absentia, I believe, uh, for asking me to share today. So um, happy Mother's Day to anyone who celebrates. I'm a cat mom, and I take that role very seriously. Um, I am going to try to give you a brief what it was like and how I got here and and try to focus more on, um, you know, what I'm up to recently more recently. So I, um, I just celebrated 23 years of abstinence uh, a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, what it was like, pretty typical story. I believe I was born compulsive. There are anecdotal, uh, there is anecdotal evidence to support that idea. I didn't really start acting out with food until I was about eight which kind of coincided with my um, understanding that something was not right with mommy and daddy. Um, And I had this um, completely idyllic, happy, joyous, and free, safe, uh, wonderful first seven years of my life, which I've really grown to appreciate um, now that I've been in recovery and I've heard other people's stories and I get to look back and, and understand the privilege that I was born with. And When I got into recovery, I merely had to find my way home to that. Um, And I know that a lot of people have to create it from scratch because they never, you know, were blessed with it to beginning in the beginning. So around eight, I started acting out with food, uh, began gaining weights, getting heavier and heavier, started getting teased and bullied and left out of things and spent a lot of afternoons parked in front of the TV after school, just eating and and checking out. And I got to where I was obese um, at 12, really bullied badly, but I went to fat camp. Hooray, hooray for fat camp. And I lost um, most of of my weight um, that year. And I I have some pictures to show you. I hope I have screen share. Um, I do. So uh, this first um, little collection, uh, here I am getting my little uh, trophy. And in the play, you can see I'm quite large. Uh, and then halfway through fat camp, just, just working it, so excited to have a smaller body. Um, I felt so disgusting um, and unlovable back then. And now I look at those pictures of that dorky little fat girl and I just, I just love her. I just, my heart goes out to her. She's, she's just, she's just a, a cool kid. So, so I lost weight. And I was going to a new school and just a whole new life. I even changed my name. I so wanted to be a different person. And then the one way my story is a little different than the average is that I got sick six months later. I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and um, really, really angry, really, really heartbroken, mad at the world, just mad at everything. Um, and at fat camp, we exercised a lot and ate less. And so we lost weight, but obviously there was no spiritual component to that and and not even any psychological um, support. So I had no tools to maintain any kind of normal um, 
eating or body. And what I did was uh, just embark on decades of yo-yo dieting um, because that was the best I could do without, um, you know, the spiritual or emotional help. And, and that happened uh, for a while. Here are a couple of pictures um, uh, from my early years in um, LA uh, with my roommate where I was on a diet in the first one. And then, um, you know, showing off that midriff again, which I still have at the ripe old age of 58. Um, and then here's another uh, photo where um, I think you're seeing me at camp here. Um, the picture on the on the left is the heaviest I was as an adult. I was 172 and I, I have an anorexic brain, so um, I might as well have been 372. Um, and I was at a counselor at this special camp, which was such a fun experience. I went on an extreme diet and the following years, I, year I had lost 50 pounds and I was so skinny and so full of myself and so toxic and so just completely absorbed with trying to keep that weight off. Um, and I will share also that uh, my experience, and I've heard a lot of other people echo this, is that my disease got progressively worse. So as I was yo-yo dieting, the swings of the pendulum got whiter and whiter. The um, amount of food that I would pack away when I was in a gaining cycle got more and more mind-boggling. I mean, to you guys, it's not, but when I try to tell normies what I would pack away on some of those days, they just, they don't believe me. And, you know, but I know you believe me. And then the methods to try to get thin again, um, just got more and more extreme. And the, the obsession with my mind, with my body, my weight, my clothes, um, just got to the point where I was toxic and I, and I didn't have a lot of friends left because I was not a pleasant person to be around. So what happened? That's what it was like. Um, what happened was I was trying to get, you know, get back onto the dieting cycle, uh, waking up every morning, determined that today was going to be the day that it would start, had hundreds of dollars of um, pay away food in my freezer and pantry every morning, such resolve by seven o'clock. There I was on the couch surrounded by my binge foods, you know, like the guy in the big book, banging my head on the bar saying, how did this happen? And I had gotten to a point where I was just profoundly unhappy and I do not, you know, suffer from clinical depression. I've had depression off and on, but it has not been, it's not like, um, you know, a, a clinical thing that I've dealt with my whole life. So being depressed like that really was uncomfortable and it wasn't, I didn't know who I was anymore. And, um, I have never been suicidal per se. I don't think I would have the guts to commit suicide, but I started to have those fantasies of if a bus jumped a curb and took me out, what a relief it would be. Um, and that too was really kind of shocking. And then the last component of it was that I was absolutely sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was going to be my life, that I was going to be binging and losing, binging and losing, and I had no control over it. And there was no hope. There was no hope for it ever changing. I was 100% sure. And I had a friend who, who got really, um, really good recovery in AA. And I didn't know her to be a fall down drunk. I found out later that she had relapsed to that point before she went back in. But I knew her to not be able to manage her life. And then I saw her get recovery and begin to be able to manage her life. And 
I sort of consider her my honorary Eskimo because I just knew that there was something there in the 12 steps that maybe I should try it. I had tried an OA meeting a couple of years before and you guys were talking about God, you were holding hands and praying, you were saying you were powerless. I just thought it was undisciplined. So I, I needed to do more research. Um, but when I reached that really desperate, desperate time in April of 99, um, I crawled into, into a, a, a meeting, weird little meeting with just a few people. Um, and, and I listened and I, and I pretty, pretty soon understood that I was in the right place. I am one of those people that was struck abstinent, sort of, sorry if that triggers you. Um, it, it's my experience. My abstinence was kind of loosey-goosey. My pattern in the beginning, my pattern was starve all day, binge all night. So I began eating three meals a day and a snack. It was a teeny tiny breakfast, a teeny tiny lunch, a giant dinner and a giant snack, but it, they had beginning, middles, middle and ends. And um, about five or six months in, I did get a sponsor. I asked a lot of questions. If you're new, um, it's okay to like call people when they give you your number and ask them really pointed questions. Um, there are, there's a handful of little bits of experience I got back in my first few months that have stayed with me um, to this day. And many of the people that gave me those little pieces of advice are still in program. Um, and they, they shaped my recovery. So I really encourage you, if you are new, um, there are going to be newcomer contacts um, after the share who identify and, and share their numbers, call them and ask them obnoxious questions um, because your life depends upon it. And, and their life depends upon it too, because we, we need to help another compulsive eater. That's the only way we stay uh, sober and abstinent with food. So after about four or five months, I was working the steps with my, my first step sponsor, God love her. She listened to a lot. Um, I worked out the workbook and there was like a little, you know, two sentence question. And then I would write, you know, three single space typed pages. And she listened to every word. God bless her. Um, but about four or five months in, I started working with a food sponsor and I um, had gone to Philly for, for a surgery actually. And, and came back and realized that I barely, I never, I rarely made it home from the airport without stopping to get restaurant food. That was my thing. It was, I ate out five to seven nights a week or ordered in, and I did not have the financial wherewithal to support that. Um, and I really got clarity that for me, restaurant foods were, was, was a binge activity and was overspending. So I decided I was going to work with a food sponsor. And my plan, because I'm very sane, uh, was that I was going to uh, plan out my food for the month and I was going to get this really strict food sponsor. And he was going to, you know, yell at me and shame me if I went off my plan. Um, the food sponsor I found out, I found did not do any of that. I had a choice between a guy who wanted me to call him at 6 a.m. I'm not a 6 a.m. person. I barely made it here at 1030. Um, on Zoom, you guys, I barely made it to a 10:30 meeting on Zoom. Um, or this other guy, and this other guy uh, was about my age, cute, straight, snazzy job in the industry. I fantasized about being in the last person in the world I would ever want to um, admit the exact nature of my food to, but he was what was available, and uh, he said. I don't comment. You just send me your food via email. If you're uncomfortable about something, you can write on a little bit. Um, if you don't seem aware of a pattern, I might bring it to your attention. But other than that, I don't, you know, I'll answer a question if you ask. I don't comment on your food. You are just turning it over. 
And I, you know, hesitated for a minute. And it was just like, well, but I want you to shame me and, you know, and, and crack the whip. And he was just like, a, you know, he said, darling, ask me, darling. It's not the way I work. So I surrendered to that. And I am still sending my food and a really detailed 10th step to this man <laughs> all these years later. And um, I just, I hope he outlives me. And I just envision myself in the nursing home at 93, emailing my food to this guy. Like, I just never want to not do that. Um, for me, it's been sort of the magic bullet. Um, and I did sort of clean up my food. I started eating, uh, I eat all foods, but healthy foods in moderate portions most of the time. I limit how much I eat out. And at first it was hard. And now it's like, you got to twist my arm to get me to eat out. Cause I just think, yeah, but my food at home is yummy and it's proper portions. And it's, so it's, you know, I go out and get a chicken Caesar salad for 15 bucks when it costs me six bucks at home. You got to twist my arms, but now I'm like, okay, you need some social interaction. So you need to say yes to some of these, um, some of these invites. Um, when I got to the 10th step formally, I asked a lot of people, again, obnoxious questions. How do you work the 10th step? I asked my food sponsor, he gave me a format and I, I asked him, can I, can I include a 10th step with my food? And he said, bring it on. Um, we've changed the format off and on uh, since then, but I write a really formal, like a real exact uh, accounting of the exact nature of my food and day defects, assets, and gratitude um, every day. I've done it from a cruise in the Mediterranean. I've done it from my hospital bed. I've had a lot of surgeries. Like I had my friend call and leave it on my accountability sponsor's voicemail when I had laryngitis in the hospital from uh, general anesthesia. Like I am rigorous and um, I just, I think that's such a huge part of how I've been able to stay abstinent. And um, I really, I really recommend being accountable, whether it's to a sponsor or a program buddy. Um, it, it means that I have a clean slate. It means that yesterday's food, good or bad, doesn't affect today. Yesterday's character defects, good or bad, don't, I get it. I get a clean slate. I get to, I get to create this day anew and try to, um, behave as God, whatever God is. And my, my concept of God has changed um, a lot, you know, off and on during the years, uh, whatever God would have me uh, do. And however God would have me behave is um, the way I try to behave today. And you guys, I got struck abstinent. I did not get struck perfect. I have character defects aplenty. Um, and I know Josh isn't here, but he loves my analogy of the batting average. So my batting average is, you know, it's calculated by successful successes uh, divided by the the number of chances you get. So sometimes I'm I'm like batting four hundred and I'm really uh, behaving in a in an honorable, sane, and sober way. And other times I'm down by the Mendoza line and I'm screwing up left and right and having to make amends. Um, and more often I'm somewhere in the middle, which uh, balance is another gift that I've gotten in this program. Going to share you share one more. Um, photo with you just to uh, finish up. Um, since about, you know, 2000, 2001, I've been about this size. Um, I shared this picture on social media and said, oh, I, I love it because I, I look thin in this picture. And a normie friend commented like, what are you talking about? You are thin. And I was like, oh yeah, I don't feel thin. But um, this is where I've been. Now, um, I am in my late 50s and Trying to get my mouse to cooperate here. Stop share. Um, 
I am in my late 50s. Things happen to women uh, in their late 50s. Um, I've gotten a little more sedentary than the pandemic hit. Um, so, you know, my weight has fluctuated a little bit, but uh, for, the, for the most part, it's about the same. And I eat uh, what a lot of people call zoo food, uh, just about the same thing, just about the same time every day. For some people, they really need variety, and that would be a recipe for relapse. For me, it's comforting. It's excuse me, that's ten minutes. You have ten left. Thank you. Good. See, I'm doing good. I'm almost. I'm almost to present. I am to present, but I'm uh, that that works for me. So some of the other things that I do on a daily or mostly daily basis, um, I go to a lot of meetings now that they're Zoom. I used to go to a lot of phone meetings and then a couple live meetings. So now I do a lot of Zoom meetings. Um, I meditate, y'all. I never was in some, I, you know, I tried three minutes. My head was so um, racy and I just never thought I would be someone who med- meditates regularly. And then I had, I sought some outside help recently, a few years ago, got got a therapist who recommended a, a guided meditation. And I started doing that. And I got into that habit so regularly that my phone now reminds me and says, hey, do you want me to load this meditation for you? Isn't it about the time that you meditate every day? Um, which is bizarre. So I do meditate um, 10 minutes a day. Uh, I do that rigorous 10th step. I have a step sponsor who I talk to once a week. We kind of check in. At some point, I'd love to, to work the steps again. I've worked them about two or three times, but it'd be nice to do it again uh, at some point. Um, not great with outreach calls. I have sort of my God squad and I tend to talk to them a lot um, rather than like calling people I don't talk to all the time. Little room for improvement there. I read our little daily readers um, and I pray before meals. I, I don't know why. I, somebody suggested it. And my connection with God and my concept of God, like I said, has, has changed. Um, it's been stronger and more defined at sometimes and, and more wishy-washy in other times. But I pray before meals because I heard someone speaking from the podium who had recovery that I want say, hey, I pray before meals. I'm like, well, I'm going to do that. Um, that prayer has changed again, off and on, um, depending on what kind of phase I'm in. So I pray before meals. It gives me just a moment's pause um, before before I eat. Um, and I... Uh, you know, may do a 10 step and make amends if I screw up and I do screw up. Um, I think that's what I do on a, on a daily basis. I have sponsees too. I have, I have food, food sponsees that email me food and gratitude, which I love. Um, and a step sponsee who's terrific. And uh, she, she sends me an in inventory. Um, I, I work the tools. I do a lot of service um, as you guys know. So let me talk to you a little bit about some, some things, you know, later on in my, in my absence, some recent things. A um, few years ago, I had that, that big career breakthrough that I'd so been longing for and so felt like, um, you know, I would never have. And, you know, sure, I have recovery and people, people admire my recovery and I do service. service but what about the thing? What about the, the dream come true? You know, where, where's that gone? Um, and so then that happened. Um, and you know, it's, it's a, it's a long story that I won't tell here. It's sort of somewhat outsidey, but this thing, this dream come true, uh, career, uh, achievement 
came through directly via my being of service um, into an outside organization that had to do, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer. So it was a children's book writer organization. It, it directly was as a result of the service I did in that program. So, um, you know, in here, I learned about service and what it was to serve and the benefit that I get from service. And I developed a genuine desire and fondness for being of service. So there I was being of service in this, this outside organization and by a, by a number of steps directly resulted in my signing with an agent, selling a book. Um, and then, you know, then I sold the book and I was like, well, how come I'm not getting star reviews? It's always something you guys, it, it, we are like, I'll speak for myself. I'm an addict at heart and um, I'm always looking through the lens of, you yeah, know, what about me? You know, I'm a piece of shit, but I should get my stuff, you know. So I got the outside help around that time when that first started, because I knew that it was going to be big and scary. And um and I was, it was really helpful to have the outside help in conjunction with program. Um, because as, as a person in this program told me, she said, you're really, you really leveled up in your career and you're going to be a lot more visible. And I had to like send pictures and, and, and since the pandemic, I've been on video so much. It, it's mind boggling to me um, that I've, that I'm able to be, I'm, I've gotten to the point where I'm comfortable enough that I don't want to like vomit and die on video. So that's about as good as it's going to get for me. And people say, Oh, you look so comfortable and natural. It's, it's, I'm acting as if, but I've learned to act. Excuse me. I have five minutes left. Thank you. So I really, and, and I'm going to talk, going to segue this into my higher power, swear to God. Um, I look back at it and I think maybe it took so long for me to have that desired career achievement because I wasn't ready. Um, I was a mess emotionally. I wasn't great at being accountable, you know, meeting deadlines and, and making commitments and keeping them. And so maybe God was just waiting for me to catch up um, before he, she, it uh, put that, put that on my plate and said, here you go, honey, get some help. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm rooting for you to be successful. Um, and I, and I, you know, I can see that in hindsight and, um, and it's been a, you know, it's been an adventure and there's been a lot of wonderful things and a lot of uh, AFGRO another F and growth opportunity along the way. Um, but lots of gratitude. And um, I have been willing to shoot up and show up for things I never dreamed I'd be able to. I'd be able to do or willing to do. And that is, uh, you know, a result of, of working the steps and, and being sober and abstinent with food in this program. So if you're new and you're thinking like, what has any of this got to do with what I'm eating for lunch? Um, that's what it's got to do with what you're eating for lunch. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, this higher power that I've had, you know, a, a, a somewhat turbulent relationship with. Um, I grew up with fanatical atheist parents and I sort of rebelled by being a little agnostic. Um, when I first came into program, the only concept I had of a higher power was like Lucy holding the football for Charlie Brown. I was fat. I lost weight. I got sick. I had this wonderful early seven years. Daddy doesn't love mommy anymore. You know, screw you, God. Like, like God was like, come on, I'll be, it'll be okay. I won't pull the football out. And then wham, there I am on my back. So I was mad and I didn't like, Whatever God was, I just felt like he hated me. So when I came in, one of those gems I got was, you need to fire that higher power. 
and uh, and create a new one. And I did. And in the in the early days, and it really worked for me. God was just this uh, loving person that cared so much about me um, with no agenda and just was there for me and just enveloped me in her arms and and loved me up and that really worked um, and at the you know with that higher power I developed a desire to behave in a manner that that higher power would be would be happy happy about it happy for me you know that, that I would be being my best self and that would be um, you know, in conjunction with this loving force. And it was more personified. And then, you know, 10, 10 or 15 years in, I, you know, just things happen, life ha happens, and I needed to readjust that. Um, and for a while, I, I borrowed one from, from Don. Don is here, I see you, Don. This, this idea of, of uh, this kind of universal flowing river, and I could either um, uh, fight against the river and try to swim upstream and really that didn't work very well. Or I could kind of float and just like whatever river, take me wherever you want. Or I could actively be a part and swim in the direction that the river was taking me and be a part of creating the things in my life that I want to create. Um, and when I misbehave, when I act on character defects, I consider it, you know, swimming against the tide. And more recently, I kind of came up with this idea. I love uh, uh, grace and drama. I'm just, I'm old, I'm disabled, I'm fed up. I don't like drama. Um, and when I have grace rather than drama, I, I feel centered. I'm able to be my best self. I'm able to be of service. So, so right now I just sort of think of grace over drama, G-O-D, grace over drama. Um, and when I'm going to send an email that's going to get me in trouble or yell at somebody because I'm mad at somebody else and I'm misdirecting it, you know, I think, all right, is that going to create drama or grace in my life? And I get that pause 23 years and I get a pause and, uh, more, more often than not, I get to redirect and do the thing that's going to bring grace into my life rather than drama. Um, again, not perfect. Um, and I think, I think that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you very much for letting me be of service.